This is your host, Tia. This is your host, Tia. Welcome back to another exciting episode of the Top 10. Why? everyone and good morning. Welcome back to another awesome episode of the Top 10 by Geek Vibes Nation. As always, I'm your host Tia Fadey and I have with me today a very tired Brittany Heasel. How are you doing, Brittany? <laughs> I'm doing great. I was just sitting there looking at the cat sleeping and I was like, you left me send some pictures. <laughs> yeah, um, I texted Brittany this morning because I literally woke up maybe an hour to like 40 minutes before this show happened. I'm like, I'm very tired. And literally about 15 seconds before the show started, I was like, and we have to do our energetic voices. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to say actors, um, never heard of them. (laughs) But we have an awesome show today. I always say that because they're always awesome, but it is also a last-minute show because I have to put this out on air. Originally, Brittany and I were going to do the top 10 best cop movies and TV shows, and that was the thing. And then when I woke up this morning, Brittany's like, let's do the other ones that we had planned, and honestly perfectly okay with that because it is the top 10 indie films. And what I love about this is, first of all, I adore indie films. I think that they are incredibly underrated and not nearly on enough people's radar. And as we know, there's a big thing in Hollywood now where certain directors like Martin Scorsese or certain actresses like Jennifer uh, Aniston, I almost called her Jennifer Lawrence, but Jennifer Aniston uh, are pretty much shitting on Marvel movies because they're saying it's like ruining the film industry and that it's not cinema, blah, blah, blah. And I go, well, and I completely respect Martin Scorsese, but him and Steven Spielberg, I mean, these are big movies that always dominate the Oscars when indie films have been sitting there for all of time, just being completely underrated and not appreciated. So it's like, okay, how you guys are feeling that Marvel movies are taking over, um, plenty of indie films don't get recognized because people are just like, oh, it's not by Martin Scorsese or Ron Howard or Steven Spielberg. Never heard of her. So I... (laughs) I love this top 10. That way we can actually highlight some of the amazing indie films out there. Um, And I'm just ready to deep dive in. So, Brittany, as always, you're going to start the list. Tell us what your number 10 is. I know. The the number one, the best person always goes first. Isn't that how it goes? No, shocking. I'm going to start it off with Sweet Virginia because, as everyone knows, me and Tia absolutely love John Bernthal. And this song was really good. I loved it. There were some parts that were a little lacking. You know, that that's sometimes how it goes with indie films. But, uh, yeah, it's uh, in Sweet Virginia, John Brentall's character played a uh, 
famous uh, bull rider, uh, big rodeo star, and, well, as somewhere along that, he sustains injuries and he has a bad limp and he can't hardly raise his right arm. Well, he ends up uh, taking over this little motel, and it's just that you almost see this tragic story of, like, you know that he was brash and wild back in his younger days before his accident, but now he's kind of timid. He knows that he can't quite win a fight like he used to, but it it's like you have the story of him, you know, and he's uh, in his affair, well, He's he's sleeping with a married woman, but as it goes on, you realize, as the viewer, there's this whole other subplot of, like, this woman hired a hitman to kill her husband uh, because she wanted to get some money from it, and he was apparently being unfaithful, and so she uh, ends up hiring him, but during when he uh, kills the man, he kills the husband of the woman that John Brenthal's character is having an affair with. And you can tell uh, Sam, he feels awful. He feels just terrible about it because he has all that guilt because he knows he shouldn't have been sleeping with her like that. But he does have feelings for her. But you realize also that he was, like, apparently married and had a child at some point. But it never leads into what happened to them. That there's at some point um, him and the woman are having, you know, after they have sex, they're laying there and she looks at a picture that's turned down and it's like he turned down the picture of his uh, his wife and child because he didn't want them to, you know, witness what he's been doing. And I don't know, it's such a tragic story, but also very crime-filled at the same point. It was just a, it's a very interesting film. Yeah, um, I love Sweet Virginia, like, so much, because, so you have John Bernthal, who plays Sam, and you have Chris Abbott, who um, plays the hitman, and in, say, another type of movie, the roles would be reversed, right? Chris Abbott would play the timid man who's very broken, and John Bernthal would obviously play the, you know, tough hitman, because... People are used to seeing him like that. He's been the Punisher. He was Shane on The Walking Dead. So this is a very much a role that you would have never expected from him, and I thought that he did it brilliantly. He, um, you know, as you said, was a rodeo star uh, who got injured. He has, I think, early uh, onset Parkinson's disease because his hands are shaking all the time. Um, and he, as you, he's very timid. He shuffles around. He owns this hotel that you find out was kind of given to him when his brother died. And he at some point has to confront this one guy, this one tenant, because there's complaints of the tenant uh, pretty much hitting his wife. But he pretty much allows the guy to like slam the door in his face because he's so non-confrontational. And then when it comes to the point where he does try to do something, he can't even form a fist to even, like, hit the guy. And it's so sad, right? But then you have Chris Abbott's character who originally is in awe of him because he knows that this guy was a very famous rodeo star. And he's almost like, oh, man, I'm so sorry that this happened to you, you know, blah, blah, blah. But 
it, as you said, it's this like this very indie, uh, dreary type of story that also has a little bit of action in it because of say the Hitman, um, and and they have that awesome showdown at the end of the film where Sam just kind of like almost regains that bit of a flair to him because he. Uh, whatchamacallit, it? because the, the woman was almost hurt, you know, she was almost hurt by Chris Abbott's character, so he's just like a full protective mode, and I love it because, Daddy's have you noticed, well, I was going to say, have you noticed that in so many things that John Bernthal's in, they always give him, like, a surrogate daughter, because there is a girl in it who works at the hotel who he very much, like, sees in that daughter capacity. I mean, he even goes to, like, one of her, like, basketball games. And I think the whole thing is that something happens to his family. I, I think his daughter and wife are actually dead because thinking back on it, I believe he had a scene with the girl where he's saying, you know, I had a daughter and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, you know, if she was still around, she'd be really proud of you. Oh, oh. I am sad. I'm going to lay here afterwards and not do anything because I'm going to be so depressed over that freaking movie. I know, but it's really good. Um, I very much enjoyed it. I liked it. I thought, you know, obviously John Bernthal did an amazing job, and that's why we love this movie so much because we're huge John Bernthal fans. But I have to say that I really think that Chris Abbott did a fantastic job as the hitman because he had, you know, his own little nuances to him where he was, uh, you know, it was just good acting. It really was. Um, and, and I don't know. I, I really enjoyed it. I think this is a fantastic pick, Brittany. I was going to say what also gets me about that movie is that the whole thing is set up of, like, that woman being like, oh, yes, please kill my husband, which is ends up killing the other woman's husband. But yeah. when you look back at it, it turns out that the guy, that she thinks, oh, he has these life insurance policies and she's going to get all this money from it so she can pay the hitman. Turns out he's, like, horribly in debt, being sued by his business uh-huh. partner. There is no life insurance. The bank owns the house now, and it's just like, oh, lady you kind of messed up yes because that was the thing that chris abbott's character was like give me my money (laughs) like all right i i carried out the hit and now i want my fucking money and you're not providing me my money and i'm a hitman and i'm you know gonna take it at some point so that shit was crazy i love the end showdown when Sam just gets his shotgun because he's fucking ready. And I'm like, oh, oh. <laughs> he's, like, he's down for business. And I think that's like one thing that I love about that movie is you never see John Bernthal like in a very soft, small role. So sometimes right. it's just nice to see him a little like timid. No, and I, I thought it was brilliant. I think that if, Hollywood is trying to cast John Bernthal that they need to look at this movie and realize that he doesn't need to be typecasted in a certain way because he can do other roles. Um, 
I will tell you my one thing that I disliked about this movie, and I feel like you're going to agree with me. I just didn't like the woman that he was sleeping with. Like, oh, Bernadette? <laughs> yeah, I didn't like Bernadette. <laughs> I didn't like her either because it was like she was pushy and, like, she, like, I get it. She was, like, cheating on her husband, but she, like, didn't have much sympathy that her husband was dead and, like, yeah, Sam. Sam obviously feels super messed up about it all. And she's like, oh, it sucks, basically. Yeah, Sam, Sam felt more, like, horrible about it than she did. He's like, you know, he was a good man. You know, I'm sorry that you had to deal with it. You know, now you're a widow. You know, he's, like, telling, like, the girl who worked at the motel that, you know, they have to be, like, you know, kind to her because of what she's going through. And she was just pretty much just like, yeah. Yeah, but then I think, wasn't it she who, who, no, no, it was Sam, I'm sorry, it was Sam who had the commitment issues because she wanted to come forward with their relationship, especially now that her husband was dead, and he was just kind of like, no, I'm not ready because, you know, he had some big-time commitment issues, you know, from obviously being a very meek person due to his injuries and also the fact that I believe that um, his family was killed uh, for some reason. Well, I'm bummed out now. I can't go on with the list now, Tia. Well, I do apologize about that, but a lot of <laughs> I feel like a lot of indie films are uh, quite depressing. So. <laughs> I think it's because they're not about they're not afraid of like oh this won't sell at the box office. They're like it's about the art. Well, yeah, and that's what I love about indie films. They're not just like hey let's just put this like unnecessary you know love triangle in. Let's not just put a thousand random explosions in because we need to drive people to the theaters to make our money back. Independent films are like, we have a story to tell and it may not be sometimes the most exciting story. It may not be the most like, uh, it may not have say even the typical structure of, you know, first act, second act, climax, you know, and like, you know, ending, but they're like, we just have a story to tell. We're going to freaking tell it. And I'm like, I love that. Like to me, that's great. Like you should have the freedom to do that. It's like, and I can respect that. Right? Right? So, yeah. Brittany, amazing job. Like, snaps for you. (laughs) It's like I do the bow. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Even though you're the one that told me about that one. (laughs) What can I say? (laughs) Now do you pat yourself on the back? Exactly, exactly. All right, so um, let's move on. I'm going to do the number nine. Uh, I have a few that I want to do, but I want to put this movie down. Um, Hang on. I'm just looking at my list of trying to, like, figure out, like, what is a good one for this moment here? (laughs) No, I feel like... You know what I'm saying? But I do love Sweet Virginia. I had, like, another John Burnfall one, but I think I'm just going to do that for, like, the honorable mentions just because I'm like, you know, let me uh, let me put a little bit more and not just make this a bunch of uh, John Burnfall stuff, which, you know. We stand. Him. Exactly. All right. But, all right, I finally figured out my number nine. 
My number nine is uh, probably not considered maybe the most traditional independent film, but I looked at it, and it was showcased at the Tribeca Film Festival. To me, everything that's at the Tribeca Film Festival is an independent movie. Um, So I am putting down Thumper. I don't know if you remember Thumper, Brittany, but this one is uh, the movie that kind of made me look at Pablo Schreiber very differently because prior to Thumper, I only knew Pablo Schreiber as Porn Stash from Orange is the New Black. <laughs> and I think I, saw, I remember I, this one. Uh, it's the one where he plays, hang on, let me bring it up. I probably should have been more prepared, but, you know, again, I have 40 minutes. No. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. It's the one where Paolo Schreiber plays Wyatt. Oh, yes, yes, the, uh, the, the drug the, the, dealer. Yeah, yeah, no, I, that's what I was thinking, but I loved him. So the thing is, again, so I only knew him from Orange and New Black, and then I see Thumper on Netflix. I decided to watch it. First of all, Pablo Schreiber looks completely different, and I was like, oh, this guy is, like, scary as shit, like, so effing imposing and totally not at all like his porn stash persona. And so pretty much in Thumper, you have this main girl who you find out, she, first of all, she's playing, like, a younger person than, say, she actually is um, because she's kind of, like, integrating herself into, like, high school and everything but in reality she's like works for the feds because they're trying to like take down say a big drug operation and it may have gone all right if it weren't for the fact that you have Wyatt uh you know Paula Shriver's character Wyatt who is this like former marine um makes like you know I forget if it's like crack or Coke or meth or something. One of those. He I like makes something. It it might have been heroin because you know they're saying how he was like in the war overseas, so it might have been heroin. He might have just brought that shit back with him or had connections from you know the Middle East. But it's just a thing like intense, like the whole because he is just like. You're always on edge with him. You never know, like, where he's going to be at in that exact moment because freaking he just so intense. Like, I'm trying to think of um, a scene or two to kind of, like, highlight. But you know that, like, everyone feels uneasy around him because there's that one moment where all, like, the high schoolers are having, say, like, a party and he just comes in and he's like, no, no, everyone, just keep going. What's, you know, you know, keep going with the party, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, you know, everyone is just like on their toes because he's so like unpredictable. unpredictable. Yeah. yeah. And, and there's one scene where he say goes to the pharmacy because he has to pick up a prescription. And at first he's like relatively pleasant. Um, but then when they kind of, like, let him know that his insurance isn't working out or anything, he suddenly becomes, like, very combative. He starts, like, yelling, like, oh, I was overseas fighting for your freedom. F you guys, blah, blah, blah. But so the most intense... racial there? 
he, he oh yeah, of course. He he definitely got uh racist in that moment because uh you know, he's this like white guy who and I think the uh the pharmacist was of Middle Eastern descent and of course he got, you know, all sorts of racist in that moment and everything. Um but to me like the most intense part was towards the end when they find out that this girl uh, is really like a fed and he pretty much has it where he has her in a freaking bathtub and he's going to like shoot the fuck out of her because he's like, she knows too much. Like we have to do it. And you're like, Oh my God, what is going on? But I know I probably did like a terrible job of explaining this movie because it's been a while since I've seen it, but I just had to highlight it because it's a really good movie, and it also is the movie that 100% like showed me Pablo Schreiber in a completely different light. So that is my pick for number nine. It's going to be Thumper. Uh, Brittany, let me stop talking so that you can. <laughs> no, no, it's okay. No, I remember uh, I had never got to watch, fully watch Thumper. But I did because we also stand Pablo uh, watching his scenes and feeling so intimidated by him, especially that scene where he does come and come in on the party and everybody's just frozen. I think that girl hadn't quite met Wyatt yet, so she didn't no. fully understand why everybody was so scared oh, of him. That reminds me. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but there no, is a scene where. There is a scene where the two of them are like staring down, and she's like, "She's like, I'm not scared of you," and he's like, "You should be." Uh, uh, but no, it's like, and you always have to wonder. It's like, at what point, what kind of person is forcing or you know putting these high school students through this kind of thing for their own monetary gain? It's like he's a bad mamma jamma. And any scene where they have somebody in a bathroom where they're either going to shoot them or, like, centralize an area where they can clean it, it always freaks me out because it's so premeditated. It's thought out. It's, you know, it's like it's uh, almost the devalue of human life because they're like, oh, you know, we got to find the easiest place to do it. And it makes you wonder. It's like, why it's probably done that a lot if he's instantly bringing her to the bathroom to do that sort of thing. So yeah, pretty messed up. <laughs> yeah, but I yeah. do love Wyatt though. <laughs> oh, he about makes that girl shoot up too. Oh, that's right. Oh, because she's like, you know, again, she's posing as if she's like a drug addict, but she's a fed and she literally is like snooping around his house because she wants information on him, but he catches her and obviously she has to make up some rule, uh, some, you know, excuse. So she's like, oh, I'm just fiending, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, oh, here, do it in front of me. And she's just like, oh, no, I'd rather do it at home. He's like, do it in front of me and you're like oh my god and like the bad thing is like you know she's like a mother she has an ex and everything who obviously thinks she's incompetent as a mother so like all of these things because I think she ends up like overdosing uh all of these things obviously destroy her personal life and you even see that at the end of the movie like her kid doesn't even like want to have anything to do with her so obviously this life has taken a toll on her family and um yeah it's just it's messed up I I just really like the movie and I just really like 
what I saw with Pablo Schreiber, and I'm glad that this is the movie that I was able to see after watching Orange is the New Black, because, you know, you think about it, how many things now that we've got, like, we would have never gotten into American Gods if it weren't for the fact that we were, like, honed in on Pablo Schreiber. We love that, man. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But, um, yeah, that's my number nine and all I really have to say about that. So, Brittany, let's move on, and you can have the number eight spot. I think I want to go with Juno. And it's been so long since I watched that movie, but I remember watching it with my family and wondering what was going on. Have you ever seen Juno? Yes, I have a funny story for you afterwards, but keep going. It's like, uh, so obviously Juno, she gets pregnant. She's in high school. I'm giving like the quick rundown of it. Basically, she gets pregnant with her longtime admirer, and uh, she decides that, uh, well, she goes to have an abortion, that she ends up uh, like changing her mind, and she goes back and she's like, I'm going to give it up for adoption. Well, she ends up, uh, this wealthy couple, uh, Vanessa, and I'm trying to remember the guy's name, but he's like a failed rock star that turned into like making music jingles for for profit for like bigger companies, and they want to adopt this baby, but the guy that she wants, you know, the the soon-to-be father of this child, because of the adoptive father, ends up falling in love with Juno. And so it's this whole situation of, like, her pregnancy, you know, the attachment, the trouble that, you know, that struggle that these women have with giving their child up for adoption and the attachment they form through the pregnancy. But uh, ends up the husband leaves the wife, uh, Vanessa, because he's like, oh, I'm not ready to be a father. I'm not ready to do this. I'm not ready to do that. And there's a really sweet part where Juno, uh, she witnesses all this happen and she runs off crying and she ends up coming back and leaving a note. And you don't really know what the note is at that point. But uh, she goes through labor. Uh, Vanessa shows up. She adopts the child as a single mother. And she frames that letter from Juno. And it says, uh, if you're still in, I'm in. Like saying that Vanessa could still adopt the child even though her husband was a prick um, and tries very hard to leave Vanessa for Juno, who is a uh, high school student. So uh, there's that little bit of weirdness along with it. But uh, it was a very interesting film. At some points I remember going, what the hell am I watching? What's going on here? (laughs) Because, yeah, it's like, you know how indie films are. They always take a almost exaggerated sense. So it's almost whimsical in a way. But uh, my mom is the queen of, like, watching the same movie over and over again if she likes it. So there has been multiple times of me coming over or when I was living with my parents just seeing it playing. And she's like, oh, it's just so sweet, but she still lets her adopt the child. And I'm like, yeah, mama, it is. <laughs> I remember when movies like Juno and Knocked Up came out and I was like probably in high school or somewhat, you know, and I liked the movies, but my dad always hated them because he's like, why am I going to want, you know, my daughter to watch a movie that's pretty much glorifying some girl getting like knocked up, you know, at a young age or, you know, 
Yeah. <laughs> so Juno is not a glorified movie in my house, but I did really enjoy this movie. Um especially because of that scene with Vanessa uh played by Jennifer Gardner where yes, the husband leaves her, which like what a dick. You guys are planning to adopt this child together. It's not like she got randomly pregnant. Like you're adopting that takes planning. And now you're just leaving because you couldn't get with a high school student because I think she's like 16 or something like that. And it's like, ew, you're so weird um, that you, whatever. But I, I did love that. I love that, that it was like, you know what? No, she's going to raise this child on her own. It's not just because her husband left that she's like, never mind. She's like, I'm ready to love this child. And that's just beautiful because that is the beauty of adoption, you know? Um, and, and the good thing is that the guy was a filled rock star, and he's like, oh, there's so much more I wanted to do in my life. And it's like, bro, you're, you know, you decided to settle down. Don't treat your wife like she's something that's holding you back. It's like you decided to marry her. Like, yeah, leave her if you want to leave her. But maybe you should have done that before, like, oh, let's go through this whole adoption process. Let's have a child. Let's have a home together. Let's get married. And it's like, Maybe yeah, you that a little more out before you try to go become a rock star at the age of like early forties, late thirties. Well, yeah, and the thing is, like in the film, you originally feel like maybe Jennifer Gardner's character is—I uh, don't want to say the enemy because that sounds incredibly intense, and it's not. There is tension. But there are scenes where, say, the guy played by Jason Bateman is uh, showing Juno around, and he's like, oh, this is my room. And Juno's kind of like, oh, you have just a room? Like, oh, she must be, like, you know, uh, weighing you down, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, no, he's just a a weak man. (laughs) I've been watching a lot of Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, and I love every time that Abe is like, I told you not to get with a weak man. And so that's what... Oh, my God. (laughs) You're going to make me watch it again. So that's uh, Jason Bateman's character. He's a weak man. Um, Because he has, you know, he doesn't have, like, responsibilities. He's just like, oh, I'm living in this, like, fantasy world. And Jennifer Gardner's like, we live in the real world. Like, chill out. But um, I I love this movie. And I love kind of, like, the message here between Juno and Jennifer Gardner's Vanessa. Um, Also, like, Juno's parents were incredibly, like, understanding they were not freaking out nearly as much as like you would expect like the parents of a 16 year old who just got knocked up to freak out I always watch them I'm like yeah in what world they're a little calm <laughs> they're a little too gonna... calm for go ahead oh no I was just gonna say um that uh, I did read something interesting is that the person that made the movie, you know, she said that now she wishes she had never made the movie because, uh, you know, uh, without getting like too political and stuff, she said that the movie is used a lot as being like an anti-choice type movie because, you know, mm-hmm. she decides against having the abortion and that she wishes now she had just never made the movie at all. And I was like, that's pretty depressing. 
That's sad because I don't see why it's an anti-choice. She had the choice and she decided to keep the baby. Like, not to get, I guess, too political here, but, you know, pro-choice doesn't always mean choose to abort. (laughs) The choice could be to, you know, keep the pregnancy, and that's what she did, and I think that should be respected. So I don't get that. I'm sorry for the creator of this movie, but I didn't see it in that light at all. But um, I was going to say... The funny thing that I was going to tell you about Juno, because when did this movie come out? Hang on, I'm looking at it right now. I'm looking at it right now. It came out in 2007, right? And yeah. I started I started dating Polly in 2008. And you know how there's that little song at the end of the movie? Like, uh, you know, he, what is it? I can't see what anyone can see in anyone else but you. And that was uh that was kind of our song back when we first started dating. <laughs> oh no, it's cute. I wasn't ready for cuteness this early in the morning. <laughs> We're too tired. We can't have this level of cute. <laughs> I know. I have a cute uh a cute attack. Yeah, right. <laughs> but um yeah, this is like the quintessential uh indie film I feel like but it was huge I mean it put Ellen Page on the map right I mean after that everyone knew who Ellen Page was um I have a confession Brittany (laughs) maybe I'm gonna hear so much flack or something like that but I do not like Michael Sarah as an actor like I don't don't either I don't either he always plays the same awesome he plays the same character every time. <laughs> okay, Adam Sandler. Oh, I, you know what? My opinion on Adam Sandler may be changed, though, after this movie coming up called Uncut Gems, because he looks amazing in it. Like, it like, looks like it's going to be really good and just so not what you would expect from an Adam Sandler movie, but I was talking to my parents about it, and it's like, he doesn't write or produce it. He's just starring in it, and it's like, maybe he's just really good if he does other people's movies. Like, stop doing your own movies and just do other people's movies. <laughs> that one, you know, I didn't think of that. Like, I always thought he was just playing in other people. multiple, multiple reasons. 
No, I will say that there is a moment when you're like a high school, like teenage girl that you watch a movie like that and you're like, I want the older guy to take an interest in me. And then as you become an adult, you're like, that was so wrong. And like any man who does that is a pedophile. So. Yeah, yeah, you're like, they're, and they're like, well, there's only two years difference from 18. It's like, bro, bro, bro. Even 18 no. is too young. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I look back and I'm like, becoming 18 did not make me an adult at all. I still was a stupid teenager. I still feel like a child. I'm 25 <laughs> and sometimes... I, I still want to call my mom and be like, will you set up my doctor's appointment for me? I still call my mom and I'm like, what do I do here? What are bills? What is what? this? <laughs> like, what are utilities? Have you ever seen that meme that it's like, I'm an adult, but I need an adult, like an adultier adult? <laughs> uh, no, no, no kidding. That's why sometimes it's like, uh, me and Tia, both of our boyfriends are older, and it's like sometimes, uh, you know, Aaron's six years older than me, and I'll be like, what is this? Help me. I don't know what these things are. And he's just like, yeah. poor bitch. Well, you know, I, like, didn't have any experience out in the outside world. Uh, prior to moving out, but Paulie's had experience like having his own place and everything, and I'm just like, what is this? I don't know. These, these were unexpected uh, charges that I didn't sign up for. Teach <laughs> <laughs> me, senpai. <laughs> but yeah, you know, is absolutely amazing, and uh, for I guess any teenage listeners out there. Stay away from the creepy older man. <laughs> yeah, they ain't cool. They just lose their sex. They can get it with anybody their own age. They had to go for the naive ones. Exactly. They're predators. 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 And also, and also um, don't be silly and wrap your willy because you do not want <laughs> unexpected pregnancies at the age of 16. <laughs> then suddenly I lost uh, all of the South listening in. What? <laughs> we marry our willy. We marry our kids off at pain. Tia? Tia? I just like mouth. getting <laughs> I just like it. I, I'm sorry. I mean, stop, but <laughs> people are listening. And the narrator and like, goes, and she was here. not sorry. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> all right, let's, uh, let's move on. Uh, I have the number seven. So I am going to pick, um, I've told you about this film before, but it's called Little Accident. And it's an indie film starring Elizabeth Banks and Boyd Holbrook. And the whole thing is that they're uh, in this little rural-ass town in America. There was a coal mining accident where all of these guys died, and the only survivor was Boyd Holbrook's character. And he is, um, you know, I, I don't want to say, like, I guess disfigured, but certainly I guess you would say so because he can't, he has, like, no, 
like really no function of one of his arms and the other isn't very good either, you know, and he obviously has like a little bit of like a limp and everything. Like he's dealing with a lot. And the whole problem is that um, they're, they want an investigation against the mining company because they were saying already that there wasn't, you know, very good regulations in place. But at first, Boy Holbrook's character doesn't even want to testify against the coal mining because he has, like, his father who's very much like, well, that's just the nature of coal mining. You get hurt. But, you know, that, that company has been good to you. You know, it gave you a job all these years. You know, you don't testify. And even at some point, Boy Holbrook's character wants to go back to work. He wants to go back in the mine. And they're like, you can't even, like, move hardly. You know, no. Um, so you have this, like, one story in it that is everyone, you know, trying to pretty much, like, grab his ear. You have people who are trying to say, oh, you know, don't testify. Then you have other people who are, like, do testify. So it goes, like, back and forth. And he obviously is dealing with survivor's guilt on top of this, considering he's the only one who survived and in his head he's like you know all those other guys they had uh families they had kids they had wives i don't have any of that and i'm the one who freaking lives and then on the other hand you have elizabeth Banks' character who's the wife of a guy who you know works at the mining company and they make a lot of money they're very well off and um something goes on with uh with her son who ends up going missing pretty much. And you find out that um, it was just all an accident that happened. Her son was killed during this, uh, during this movie, but you know, all kind of like an accident, but it was covered up by, uh, by another kid in the town. And it's just all this like interweb that gets like woven in and it's very dramatic. And at some point, Boyd Holbrook's character and Elizabeth Banks, character kind of meet up and they end up having a bit of an affair because you know she's married um and they end up sleeping with each other and it it just kind of gets complicated at some point in the film and I again just really like this movie not only because of what the tones are in it but also the range of Boyd Holbrook's acting in it because I don't think that he is a actor who many people kind of look at and think of when they think of someone who is able to act well but I think that he did a fantastic job in this movie of conveying this just broken man who is dealing with his physical um, problems dealing with his emotional dealing with the town pretty much divided where people want him to testify because it's only right but then others who are like, oh, you know, if you do this, then I'm going to lose my job. And, you know, don't be selfish, you know, uh, just take the, the payout and everything like that. So I like little accidents. I don't think that is something that people really talk about. I've not really heard a whole lot of chatter when it comes to this movie. But as far as, like, independent films, I feel like it has all the recipes for an independent film, you know, small town people are struggling financially. Then you have Elizabeth Banks' character who's very wealthy and she herself is getting like death threats. She looks at like a message board 
where people are saying how terrible her and her family is because they're just kind of like sitting up on top of wealth while other people are struggling and how uh, her husband knew that there was problems with the mine and yet continued to let people work there anyway, which obviously then killed a bunch of people. So, yeah, that is uh, my summary of Little Accidents. And I believe I've told you about this movie before, Brittany. But, oh, yeah. Um, okay, yeah. So just kind of give me, like, your thoughts when it comes to this. I think what gets me is, uh, and tell me if I'm wrong, I think what was hard is that it still had the issues the mind did. And if he testified, it could be shut down and all mm-hmm. these people could lose their jobs. And it was like one of the only sources of income for this town. And so on one hand, there was that. But then on the other hand, the people who lost their loved ones wanted him to testify and seek, you know, retribution, you know, have them pay for what they did. But it's like he really is between a rock and a hard place. And it always kills me when the dad is like, oh, you know, that company gave you a job. And it's like, bruh, a company isn't a person. You don't owe any kind of, like, loyalty, loyalty to them, you know, to the point of, like, all these people died, you know. And I think what gets me is that I always feel so bad for Boyd Holbrook's character because he's going through so much. He's like... He, he's been crippled by what has been done to him in that mine. He has obvious survivor's guilt. And as you said, you know, he's dealing with the fact that all he has is his dad. That's literally all he has. And I think the dad dies at some point, doesn't yeah. he? And so yeah, he has he... no one. And But then he's looking at all these families with, like, their wives and their children you know, that are dealing with the loss and he feels like that responsibility, but there is no right answer. There's nothing he can do. And he's just like, he just wants to be left alone. And he, he makes me think of Sam from Sweet Virginia too. What's <laughs> up with all these beautiful men getting hurt and being like shells of their former selves? That's exactly a wonderful description of, of, uh, uh, Boy Holbrook's character, Amos, is his name. And I was actually yeah. not thinking you said Amos. Amos. Um, but <laughs> yeah, he, he has obviously, you know, people just try to tug him in all different directions. And it, it's obvious that at some point he was definitely more outspoken. He was more you know, has just more of a personality, but now he's very, like, meek and very much like, oh, whatever you think is okay type of person. Like, there's at some point that there's this woman who he obviously used to sleep with who tries to, like, uh, get him back in bed, and he's just like, I don't think I'm ready for that type of stuff, you know? And then when it's obvious that he's kind of hanging around Elizabeth Banks' character, that woman herself is just like, oh, go back to your rich bitch or something like that, you know? So it's all these, like, components. Yeah, and his father is just like, he was just, you know, he's saying how, you know, you can't go against that company or anything. And I'm like, have you seen your son? Uh, I think something like they said he was, like, in a coma for, like, nine months or some shit, or, like, a few months, you know? And he has obviously mobility issues, 
so you're telling him that he should just what be thankful that he's not dead? Like I don't understand what you thought was like a good idea about him not testifying. <laughs> Sorry, when you said testify, I made me think of justified, and then I wanted to do the dab along with it. But uh, oh, no, I agree. I I agree. It's very depressing movie. All indie films are depressing. I, you know what? That is a very good thing. I feel like they're just not any type of uh, happy-go-lucky independent films. Kind of the point of them. <laughs> Uh, well, I, I need them to stop it. I want a happy story, Tia. I want a happy story like that little short we watched with uh, Luke Kirby. Brittany, you have to watch um, Sorry for Your Loss, the episode with Luke Kirby in it. It's only a half hour long. All right. It's on Facebook. It's free. So you're going to love it. Kirby. It's in season one. And I forget what the title really is, but it has Palm Springs in it. So, yeah. If you don't watch yep. it, uh, we're going to fight. We're going to have words. <laughs> we're going to have words. But, um, yeah, fair so enough, enough. <laughs> my entry for number seven is a little accident. Brittany, what's your number six? Well, see, look. So you caught me in the middle of the biggest yawn I have ever done in my life. Let me see. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go with Napoleon Dynamite, which also came out around the same time as Juno. It, they were all it was, about some of that quirkiness. It was back in the day, like, quirky um, independent films reigned king. <laughs> I was going to say, this is one of those indie films, and, and I won't go into the full, full plot, because most people have seen Napoleon Dynamite. The goofy... Uh, him yelling at the, uh, was it alpaca or a llama? I, I can't remember, but having to feed her the nastiness that was that casserole. But that whole movie is just goofy. And I remember as a kid, like, I hadn't seen it initially when it came out. I just heard my uncle that was like, Napoleon, give me some of those tots. And I was like, what are you saying? What are tots? What are we talking about? Uh, which obviously now watching it he's referring to when Napoleon is eating tater tots out of the small pocket in his pants and the class bully wants some tots. So, yeah, that whole movie is just a wild ride. Uh, his uncle moving in when the grandma has, uh, I think, a heart attack or a stroke and he's obviously a creep that wants to sleep with anything and anyone. And he's always talking about, oh, he could have been a football star, but, you know, this or that happened. But uh, you had uh, his, I'm trying to think, I'm trying to think of what his friend was. But he's like, oh, you must got at least like five feet of air when they're going, uh, riding their bike over that small little ramp. You've seen Napoleon, right? I have a confession to make. No. <laughs> I've, I've never seen this movie. Oh, my God. Now I have to go into the plot. <laughs> Tia. I just literally said, uh, you know, I'm not going to go to full plot because everybody's seen Napoleon. <laughs> you let me down. 
let me tell. <laughs> it was too quirky. It was too quirky. Oh my gosh! Every time I say that, uh, makes me think of I've got another confession to make. Oh my god. Okay, so Napoleon and his older brother, who's also equally as weird, live with their grandmother. And obviously, the older brother is at an age that he should be moved out. But he's always on the computer chatting with this woman online, which you uh, find out later when he meets her. You're like, oh, what kind of woman is he talking to? And he is dating the most beautiful like African American woman, she's tall, she towers over his scrawny ass, and she is just like luscious. But we'll go into that again later. Well, either way, the uh, they have like a pet llama or alpaca, I can't remember which one, but their grandmother ends up having uh, a stroke or a heart attack and ends up in the hospital for a little bit. And, uh, oh, no, she goes on a trip, I think, and gets hurt. It's something. But the uncle moves in, and the uncle just lives in a trailer, like on a hill, and he's always throwing his football, reminiscing about how he could have been something. He could have been a star. He could have been a contender. But, um, (laughs) but, uh, so he moves in, and he is just a dick. You know, he tries to, he tries overly hard to be an alpha male, well, Napoleon at school, he uh, makes friends with this, uh, like, I think he just, he's a, he just moved in, and he was Hispanic, and, well, they end up uh, becoming friends, even though I think at first he doesn't speak much English, or he just has trouble with it, but they get, like, this friendship, uh, there's just all this awkward weirdness, but at the end, I think it's a talent show, and, uh, the uh, lady that his brother starts dating gives him a mixtape to kind of get around to. And, of course, it's just, like, the wildest music on it. But he ends up putting on that big, crazy dance uh, for the uh, show. Oh, it's because his friend is wanting to run for class president, and he's going against this really popular girl. But by the time the end of the dance of Napoleon's dance for Vote for Pedro... He ends up winning because the dance apparently is so good. But, yeah, you need to see this movie. It's a wild ride. I thought it would be too quirky and weird to watch, but uh, that's your homework, Tia. (laughs) Watch it. And it's so quirky. I had trouble explaining it because so much goes on in that movie. Well, if that's my homework, your homework is to watch that episode of Sorry for Your Loss. But I don't know. Okay. okay. You know what it is? Like, Napoleon Dynamite Dynamite was so popular when I was in high school. Like, everyone watched it. Like, Hot Topic had all the Vote for Pedro shirts. It was, like, integrated into society. And you were the god kid. And you couldn't (laughs) go along with the mainstream because everybody liked it. You couldn't watch it. I see you, Tia. I see you. Back then, I was very much the, um, like, now, I'm very much, like, uh, you know, disliking popular things doesn't make you interesting. But when I was in high school, I was totally, like, 
Oh, too mainstream for me. No, no, Tia. But, yeah, listen, I feel like I know so much about this movie just for the simple fact that it was just so popularized. Like, I know, like, gosh, ugh, you know, how the way he would talk and everything. Like, I know all of that just because how could you not know anything about Napoleon Dynamite? One of my favorite, um, you know, uh, epic rap battles of history. One of yes. my favorite, one of my favorite ones is Napoleon Dynamite versus Napoleon Bonaparte. Like, oh you know, my god, I, yes, yeah, you know. So it's like I know this movie. I've just never sat down and actually watched it all the way through, um, which I guess I guess is my homework at some point. Yeah, Tia. You say you're a movie buff, and then you don't do that <laughs> shit. You're dead to me. You poser. Oh no! I claim uh, to be. No. I claim to be a fan of the indie films, but I don't even know the grandfather of indie films. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. That's pretty much what it should be called: the grandfather of indie films. What are the grandfather of indie films? Like Napoleon Dynamite is like the grandfather of indie films. Our grandchild. Wait, when did indie? Well, if you're talking about the 2000s, yeah, that's that's probably true. Like the explosion of indie films that, that, that came is out. True. That I, I I think it put it on the map of like a lot of the good indie films. You know, a lot of them come from the 80s, but they're you know cult classics now. All these were more like oh, they're they're weird. <laughs> but we were just a bunch of weirdos back in like the mid um 2000s like 2005 to like 2008 2009 weirdos but you know yeah, love yeah. weirdos uh, i was gonna say speaking of weirdos um my cat toby stared at me for a good five seconds before he aggressively started licking himself and i don't know i feel like he just like he posed on me Toby he asserted his gonna, dominance. He's just going to eat you one day. Like, he's not even going to wait for you to be so. dead. He's just going to eat you. <laughs> I hope so. God, yes. <laughs> oh, my God. Put me out of my misery. Oh, my God. Brittany, we have to be happy this morning. Let's go. <laughs> I feel uh, okay, like I, Tia. I feel like I've been watching too much Jenna Marbles ever since she left, and I'm just like, oh, I... that's a good problem to have. That's my that can't even be constituted as a problem. <laughs> oh my god! But yes, Napoleon Dynamite, great choice for this list. I'm sure that anyone who's listening is like, this girl claims to like indie films, and she's never even seen it. So I'm gonna go and in, back into my corner and uh, move on to the number five. You ready for my yeah, pitch? <laughs> oh, no, I'm scared. It's, no, it's something recently that we've been talking about. And I am putting Frank um, on the list as number five. Okay, oh, I was like, Frank. I was like, yes, I love Frank. So Frank is an indie film that came out in 2014. And it is one of those movies that I thought that I was going to not enjoy. I was like, it's too weird for me. 
Um, and then I ended up watching it and freaking loving it. It's so endearing. It's a black comedy that stars Michael Fassbender, Dom Mel Gleason. I don't even know how to say his name. He was in the Harry Potter movies, all right? Um, but uh, Dom Mel Gleason, Maggie Gyllenhaal, and Scoot McNary. Um, and the whole... And the whole plot of this is that Michael Fassbender plays this guy, Frank, who is the lead singer of this very funky, psychedelic band uh, who is, you know, kind of looking to make it out there and yada, yada. But what makes it incredibly uh, unique, I would say, is that uh, Frank, played by Michael Fassbender, um, wears constantly a paper mache head over his head, and he never takes it off ever, like ever, ever. So never weird. takes it off. <laughs> yeah, um, which I actually found out through, uh, you know, kind of my research on this movie that it was actually inspired by this like singer comedian uh, called Frank. Longbottom or something like that, but who also made who also wore like a paper mache head that looked very similar to Frank's in the movie. Although in real life, the guy obviously took it off, but in the movie, Frank doesn't because you find out that he, you know, most likely has some sort of uh, issues with himself and his identity and everything. But even though he wears this paper mache head. He very much is like the heart of everything. He's very knowledgeable and inspiring. Like, you pretty much are seeing the movie through Domhnall Gleeson's character, John, who gets into this band after their former keyboard player tries to drown himself. Um, so they need right. a keyboard player. Yeah, so they need a keyboard player, and through dumb luck, John gets involved. They go off to this cabin in Ireland where they are going to work on their album. And he is like in awe of Frank because Frank can find inspiration for um, a song anywhere. I mean, he like, sorry, <coughs> that's something caught in the back of my throat. I'm like, of course, as I'm rambling. That's the world telling you to stop talking. pretty much pretty much but um so yeah um he finds inspiration with everything you see like even at some point he's like closing a door and he's like oh we can make a whole song about this so but he's very um like he's very warm to be around you know he comforts john when john is not feeling well about his own music because Maggie Gyllenhaal's character Clara is like so aggressive and violent like you find out that Clara like has pretty much like a love for Frank and you what you find out about this band is that they kind of are a collection of I want I guess weirdos but misfits they're a collection of misfits and she feels very protective of Frank, and John is obviously an outsider who doesn't really understand. He's trying to, like, make their music more mainstream and popular to the public, which 
Like, that's not what this band is about. This band is, like, a safe place for all of these people. And Clara's like, if you ruin anything, if you hurt Frank, I'll fucking stab you. And she does, actually, at some point, stab John. Um, to put oh, it out God. There. Yeah. Um, but, and then you have, of course, Scoot McNary's character, who plays Don, who, like, at first you think that he is a completely, like, functional human being, and you find out that, no, he... Um, he uh, has a condition that made him like to have sexual intercourse with mannequins, which, you know, it's like, what is going on in this movie? It's um, a condition. It's a condition. But uh, Don loves Frank. Frank, you know, comforts Don. And it's just like the whole movie is like just everyone really just gravitating to Frank and really like <laughs> – even though it's an indie film and it's very endearing and the music is actually pretty good for as like strange as it is. Um, Paulie was like, Oh, why didn't they come out with an actual album? But um, John almost becomes like the villain in the movie, because as I said, he's trying to like mainstream their music and trying to change. And at some point he's even like, pressuring Frank to take off the head when no one else pressures him. They, they accept it. Like this, is what he feels comfortable with and this is how Frank flourishes and that's okay because this is a safe space but John just doesn't understand it and he's trying to like change it and you're like F you John like go away so I love Frank I did not expect to like Frank I thought it was going to be too weird for me but it ended up being like one of my favorite indie films because of just how freaking endearing it is um, and yeah, so if you are out there and you've never seen Frank, Michael Fassbender is absolutely brilliant in it. Um, it's on Hulu and Maggie Gyllenhaal is really good. And of course, everyone knows that I love Scoot McNary and I love Don in this. So yeah, watch Frank. But uh, Brittany, what are your thoughts about Frank? We've been talking about this a lot lately. I had no idea that you loved Scoot McNary. That's just a new obsession <laughs> I never knew existed. I mean, no, I like. I really want to see this movie. It just seems like a wild ride from beginning to end, which I'm always a fan of. Um, I feel bad for Frank whenever he takes off the the uh, mat like mask helmet. What would it's you like call a head. it? Like it's literally a head. like. But uh, I feel bad for him, and spoiler alert, you know, you realize that when he takes it off, you know, it's damaged his head some, you know, he has scars on his forehead, Uh, the hair around, like, uh, his head is, like, bald or, like, scarred from wearing the, the head so much, and it's just depressing because it's, like, you understand that him hiding behind that head, you know, it's like he can be what he wants to be. There's none of that self-consciousness, you know. He's just, everybody's gravitated towards his confidence, but without the head, he just feels, he's just a whole different person, and it's just really sad and depressing. And we all know what happens to uh, Scoop McNary's character, Don, in it, uh, for people that have seen it. And uh, not exactly sure if Tia wants me to pop that fact out because it always makes you depressed. But, well, yeah. I. And I'm sorry to interrupt, but, like, as you said with Frank, you know, 
when he has the head on, he walks very confidently. He's always comforting people. He tells people, like, there's at some point in the movie where he starts, like, saying his facial expressions out loud so that he's not so intimidating. You know, he'll be like, oh, I'm giving you a welcoming smile underneath. Um, But when he, there's at some point where uh, John tries to force Frank to take off the head and uh, Frank literally runs out because he's freaking out gets hit by a car, so the head obviously smashes. And when you see him without the head on, he's very sullen. He's always looking down. He's, like, shuffling around. And I think what I like also about the film is, like, the awareness of, say, like, mental illness and, like, not to kind of, like, almost, I don't want to say, like, not trying to fix it, like, not in a bad way, but in, like, accepting that, some people are just different, and instead of trying to get them to conform to society, just accepting them. Because I told you that there's some point where John is like, oh, well, you know, Frank must have had a really abusive childhood and a really effed up home life in order to retreat to this mask, right? And there's nothing that indicates that throughout the film. It's just John thinking that. And then you find out that, no, he has two, like, Frank has two incredibly loving parents. Um, The dad actually made Frank his first paper mache head. And they even say to him, they're like, no, nothing happened to him. He doesn't have an abusive childhood. He just has a mental illness. And it's like, yeah, John, like, stop thinking so pathetically. Um, and it's like Don, you know, that's how the two of them met, was in a mental hospital. Right. Yeah, exactly. But it's like they are both together and, you know, with this band and, like, Clara and her aggressive, you know. Oh, and that's another thing I forgot to mention. Like, John, like, this is what I'm saying. John, like, pisses me off because he has, like, all these preconceived notions because he asks Clara at some point, like, oh, how was it for you in the mental hospital? And Clara's like, I wasn't in a mental hospital. He's like, oh, I just assumed that you had mental illness and disabilities. And it's like, he's very, like, thinking that there's something wrong with, like, all of these people. And it's like, you know, you're the outsider. You're the dick. Yeah. So, I love this movie. I don't know. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, I'm just saying what, what's interesting is that I think it's what we perceive, that that normal is a preconceived notion and that it normally sways in where the majority is. And so where he may feel like, oh, I'm normal and you're the weirdos, you know, he's outnumbered in that aspect where it's like he's the weirdo, he's the non-normal one. In their space, they are the normal ones. And right, exactly. judge. Exactly. And they have this, again, safe space in the cabin, which, you know, I realized, you know, they probably, yeah, they were working on an album, but it was mostly something just for them where John wanted to make it for the world. But, like, they maybe necessarily weren't even wanting that. You know, they just wanted to make music and enjoy each other's company. And, yeah, no, it always saddens me what happened to Don. Like, we obviously see that he has a lot of depression issues. And I'm just, I don't want to talk about it. It was too sad. He's one of my favorite characters in this movie, so no. But um, let's move along just so that we have time to go over the other slots that we have. um, Because 
I just think that anyone should watch Frankie, even if, say, like, you look at the poster and you're like, this is weird looking, but it's really good. But anyway, Brittany, what's your number four slot for us? Well, I'm looking at it, and I was sitting there trying to think between the two which one I wanted to go first. But I'm going to go with Pulp Fiction, which I know could probably be higher up, but we know how these lists go. Uh, Tia, have you seen Pulp Fiction? Of course. It's a Quentin Tarantino movie. I was going to say, that whole movie is just one wild ride. And I was going to say, like, it definitely has all the vibes of an indie film, uh, especially of never really truly knowing what's in the briefcase, which I still assume that it's that one guy, like, the main, uh, well, he was the baddie for the most part, the uh, crime boss. I still think it's his soul or something because it glows, and on the back of his neck there's a bandage, which... You know, some religions and uh, notions believe that, you know, your soul is, like, in the base of your neck. So, possibly. But uh, the whole time I'm sitting there, like, I want to know what's, like, truly in the briefcase. But I will, uh, since there is so much in that film, I'll just touch on some scenes that I just loved in it, but also were disturbed. Um, I was in either ninth grade or 10th grade when I watched it for the first time. And I have a friend, Rebecca, and she loves indie films. She loves all the old, uh, like she's the reason I saw Zodiac Killer or, uh, or the, which is Zodiac. I can't remember. Zodiac, all the, which is a great yeah, film. It, like she's the reason I watched so many weird films and she said, let's watch Pulp Fiction. And I will never forget that when the one girl is overdosing, and they stab the adrenaline into her heart, like, it still, like, freaks me out because, you know, I had never seen in a movie where anybody was, like, overdosing and to see it and then, like, the brutality of how they had to bring her back always freaks me out, which I still am like, okay, maybe not use other people's drugs because the whole thing is that she thought his heroin was cocaine, and she snorted all that shit, which is uh, a pretty messed up situation. But uh, And going back to uh, still the scene that gives me nightmares, and I really hate it, though, is the, scene, the rape scene where the main, uh, the pawn shop guys, which I always was disturbed in school because people would laugh over that scene. And I was like, just because it's a guy doesn't make it any, like, funnier or, like, not funny at all, you know what I mean? It was, like, the concept of it was so foreign to them, but we know that uh, basically the main bad guy who wanted the uh, boxer played by, what's his name? I can't think of it off the top of my head. Uh, Bruce Willis, I believe, is the one that played him. Uh I think I'm thinking correctly, but uh, he wants them to throw the fight, and he doesn't throw the fight, and he ends up chasing him to that pawn shop where they get captured, and there is the security guard and the owner, and uh, they begin raping the main bad guy, and uh, then there's the gimp, which always freaks me out. Like, people laugh over the gimp, but that freaks me out, the silent character in the like 
tight latex uh, that, you know, they, Bruce Willis' character ends up going back for him and saving him. But the whole movie is just a wild ride. And can we talk about, uh, I think his name is Jules. Is that, is that the who I'm thinking of? He's played by, um, I can't think of his name off the top of my head. Um, oh, Samuel L. Jackson? Jules? Yes, yes, yes. His character is the best thing about that whole entire movie, though. I love his hair. English. I, I love English. Say what again? English motherfucker. Do you speak it? Do you speak it? And, like, I love how religious he gets through it after they glance into the briefcase, which that's why a lot of people are like, okay, is it a holy artifact? Is it a soul? Because he's like, oh, you know, I'm taking this sign from God to get out of the hitman business and all this stuff. But it's just like, say what again? Say what again? <laughs> and I think that just like, can we talk about how he looks like he has not aged since that movie? And that movie is how many years old? Samuel Jackson definitely doesn't age. It was in 1994, and I feel like he looks exactly the same. Man, I thought Pulp Fiction was older, but uh, you know what? It was Brittany, that was like over 20 years ago. I know, but still, I was born in 1994. I know what year it is. Oh, my God, yeah. Pulp Fiction is old. <laughs> Pulp Fiction is a wild freaking ride. I mean, there are so many like iconic scenes in there. Like as you said, uh, when Uma Thurman's character is revived with the adrenaline, which I'm pretty sure like many people have like debunked that over the years and saying like that's not possible um, at all. But uh, yeah, that that shit was crazy. Uh, probably like one of John Travolta's best movies ever. Um, and certainly one of Quentin Tarantino's best movies ever. Like I love all of Quentin Tarantino's movies, but his earlier ones such as Pulp Fiction and Reservoir Dogs definitely has more of that like independent uh, feel to them. Um, than say like his more recent ones, obviously because he has bigger budgets now. But yeah, this this movie was insane. As you said, there's so many aspects in it, um, and just it's crazy. Like it's been so long since I've seen it, so I can't like comment so much on it. But I think that it definitely deserves to be on this list, and I love that you even put it. I don't know what maybe I was just like, you know what? I remember Pulp Fiction. It's one of those movies that see it once and you're like, I can't tell you everything that happened in it, but I remember the feeling I had while watching it. (laughs) I feel the same exact way. And I just love, first of all, that like Quentin Tarantino has put Samuel Jackson in so many of his movies just because he's so fucking good in it. And Bruce Willis being in this movie. And I, as you said, like, there definitely is a little something wrong with society that we laugh at, like, really inappropriate um, moments. Um, just because even, like, I was talking about this with Kelly recently, how there are so many scenes in, say, The Joker that were so sad, but people were laughing because it's like people don't even, like, understand mostly what sometimes a filmmaker is trying to convey on screen. No, 
It's just like they just take it as a funny thing. It's like, not particularly. (laughs) Exactly. But I love that you put Pulp Fiction down. It makes me want to go back and watch it just so that I could be a little bit more up to date with everything. Because, again, it's been so long since I've seen this movie. No, it's been a long time for me too, girl. (laughs) But that is interesting. I want to see it just so that I can try and see if I get also the um, feeling that you did what was in the briefcase. What was in the briefcase? What's in the box? What's in the box? That's a different movie, Brittany. I know, but still. (laughs) No, I love it. Um, I think this is a great entry for the top 10 indie films and that if you haven't seen it out there, you are really missing out on a fantastic movie. So yeah, brilliant, Brittany. Brilliant. Um, Just, just for time's sake, just so that we have enough time to talk about the last three, I'm going to move on to the third one. So I don't believe that you've ever seen this movie, Brittany, and it's been a long time since I've seen it, but I will do my best to explain it because it is one of, it definitely was one of my favorite movies back in the day because I felt very um, connected to the main character. So (laughs) you ready for this? Um, It is called Ghost World and it is a black comedy. Ghost World. And it is a black comedy from 2001. It actually was based off of a comic book of the same name and it stars Laura Birch a young Scarlett Johansson and Steve Buscemi. Now, Thora, right? Uh, Thora Birch and Scarlett Johansson play like, you know, the punks and like the misfit outsiders back in high school. Uh, you know, they like, they uh, very like are wearing plaid skirts and dyeing their hair green and wearing big combat boots and, Laura Birch only goes and, like, you know, listens to 70s punk music and shit, and they're very, like, fuck society, man. Um, And so Thora Birch's character, you know, is graduating, but she has to take a summer class uh, anyway, like an art class. And you find, like, throughout the movie, whereas these two were best friends in high school, very much on the same page, they start splitting once high school kind of ends because Thora Birch still wants to remain in that, you know, fuck society type of manner. And even though Scarlett Johansson's character is kind of like that, she eventually gets like a summer job at a coffee shop. Um, and she's like, oh, I guess it's okay, you know, kind of doing this. And Thora Birch is like, but, you know, this isn't who we are. You know, you're like pretty much like being generic and bowing down to the man and blah, blah, blah. But it's like, bro, I gotta eat. Yeah. But Thora Birch's character is like, there's, again, at some points where I felt very much connected to her. So she's in this art class for her summer school, and she is, you know, a brilliant artist, and she's so good at it, and she has a lot of talent. But her art teacher, who's one of those, like, really far out there freaking people, is like, oh, I just don't feel it in your soul. And then you have this, like, preppy girl who clearly like knows nothing she's like I got this teacup and put a tampon in it and this is my art you know project and the and the teacher's like oh my god I love it 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 embodies you know 
feeling like being stuck between being a little girl, but then also womanhood and everything. And you see, like, Thor. Oh, my God. Like, I painted this really beautiful painting, and you don't, you know, fucking get it at all. So as Thora Birch and Scarlett Johansson's friendship is kind of splitting during the summer, Thora Birch meets Steve Buscemi's character, who is also very much an outcast and very much a quote-unquote loser, right? But they bond together because Steve Buscemi likes old music, he likes old movies, and so obviously he feels very disconnected to the world. And Thora Birch, who is, you know, a teenager, but likes all of that stuff, ends up forming a friendship with him. You know, like, they go hang out, um, they go get dinner together, and this all started with almost like a joke, because at the beginning of the movie, Scarlett Johansson and Thora Birch are making fun of him, because they see him out and they think he looks so pathetic, so they they take one of those... uh, like, as out in the paper, like, one of those misconnections type things. Oh! <laughs> but then Thor Birch obviously ends up feeling sad for him, so ends up kind of, like, going to his home because he's having, like, a yard sale for all his old records. They end up forming a friendship, blah, blah, blah. Um, and that's pretty much, like, their relationship throughout the movie, but it this is one of those movies, again, like, when you're younger, you're like... <laughs> I really like this because I want to be in this type of position. And then you like kind of grow up and you're like, now that I'm talking about it, it is kind of weird because the, yeah, two yeah, yeah. Up, the two of them end up sleeping together at some point. And Thora Birch has very much a moment like, what am I doing? Because uh, Steve Buscemi's character like ends up like really like loving her. He's just, like, like afterwards, he's, like, cuddling her and everything, and she's just, like, oh, God, this guy's getting way too attached because he's really not had, like, any female relations throughout his life, even though he is a man probably in his, like, 40s or something like that. Oh, It's, like, it's messed up and sad, but, like, all the above. Yeah, and I guess, spoiler alert, but the end of the movie, because the whole movie um Thora Birch's character is like you know you ever just want to get on a bus and just go and like never say come back or anything like that um and she does that at the end of the movie after everything the sequence of events that have happened you see that she is at a bus stop and the bus goes by and she's not at that bus stop anymore and that's how the movie ends and it is very much a indie film and a self-exploration film and um i guess a teenager kind of wondering where their place is in the world after high school because you know you're the punk in high school and you're all like f the man and blah, blah blah and that's all well and good while you're in high school but then you're getting out into the real world and her I think struggling with that because I don't think that she was ready for that. Whereas she sees Scarlett Johansson, who is supposed to be her partner in crime, who is very much like her, then suddenly shifting. And I think that that was just very hard for her. And then especially after kind of seeing the fallout of what happened with Steve Buscemi, because Steve Buscemi ends up getting his ass kicked at some point because he tries to pick a fight with someone who likes Thora Birch and ends up getting his ass kicked. And I think she just kind of is like, I just need to go. And she goes. And that's it. 
So that is Ghost World and has been one of my favorite indie films of all time. And when I was, what, this came out in 2001, I was, God, I, wow, what the fuck was I in 2001? I was like 11, you know? So this is like right yeah. when, like right before I was in high school. Yeah, I loved this freaking film when I was younger and probably would love it again if I watched it. So yeah, Ghost World is my uh, number three submission based on what I told you, Brittany. What were your thoughts? I was going to say, I was looking at pictures right now, and they definitely do not shy away from the fact that Steve Buscemi's character is definitely older in that. Yes. Oh, yeah. They don't like, try to make him young or anything. I was looking at it, but it wasn't, like, exactly what I had imagined in my head, like, in a good way. But like, <laughs> she definitely looks like a little punk in it, and I love it. But, uh, no, I... I think that is the hard part is that especially when we go through high school and, you know, we have friends and we have, uh, and things start changing and we try to like almost keep a hold of it. But it's like, what can you do besides just let life happen? And I think that's kind of the depressing point because we think school's going to last forever. Friendships are going to last forever. The way I am is the way I'm going to be forever. And I'm like, which is also a good thing that things change because, golly, I like myself a lot better than I like myself as a teenager. But <laughs> but uh, I think it is depressing. And I, I bet it's like, you know, you said that you feel it close to you. It's like, it's like uh, I can imagine, you know, you went through your goth phase and then suddenly it's like, okay, I got to bow down to the man. I need a job. I need to do this. I need to do that. So it is a... It is a sad thing, but it's kind of like it's just a part of getting older, huh? Well, I always say that's funny because when I was in high school, uh, colored hair was not something that was acceptable. If you colored your hair any sort of different color, like I had a cousin who constantly blue, green, pink, red, purple, and how many freaking looks we got walking down the street all the freaking time, you know? Uh, how it's like, oh, you're a degenerate, you know, or you know, back when I was in high school, I would put on black lipstick and like, ooh, that's it. But now, Kylie Jenner is wearing black lipstick, so obviously every, like, girl out there is like, black lipstick's so chic. Or, you know, people are dyeing their hair, you know, pastel pink and light purple, and that's a thing. And it's like, oh, she's just, you know, gorgeous and beautiful and edgy. And it's like, mm, when I was in high school, that meant that, that, you know, that meant that you were an outcast. Um, so, it's funny, like, seeing through the lens of how things have kind of shifted and changed. But uh, even to this day, I mean, there are certain companies that would probably be accepting of it, but certainly not my job if I walked in with blue hair one day. Um, and that's the thing. When you're like, girl, we're going to need you to um, redo your resume. Right? But it's like you know, you're in high school and you're used to dressing a certain way, acting a certain way, and it's like you have to, like, shift yourself entirely to start getting into the workforce. And I think that that was just kind of where uh, Thora Birch's character was kind of at in her life. She felt very much at a crossroad and didn't know how to handle it. She, you know, didn't, like, not that her father was a bad guy, but it's like he, there was so, like, a miscommunication between them. And so, she, and then 
again, like the one person who she felt connected with, who was Scarlett Johansson, with her changing, she obviously then gravitated towards Steve Buscemi's character, who I don't ever think that even though he was older, that he was ever taking advantage. He was just so sad in his life that to have someone who came in and understood him was just like such a new feeling. And he latched onto it, but he didn't know how to not latch on so tightly. He got a little obsessive. He did. He Because there was some guy at like a 7-Eleven, like a teenager who liked Laura Birch's character, and he ends up trying to pick a fight, which, again, he gets his ass kicked. Because he's like a, a 40-year-old man trying to take on a young punk. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. So I love Ghost World. I feel like next time you come that we should watch it because it is an indie classic. I feel like I need it. I, I had never heard about it until now. So I, it's definitely the indie of indies. <laughs> it's so indie that hardly anyone's heard of it. Uh, it's like, uh, you probably haven't heard of it. Isn't that what the hipsters say? Yeah. <laughs> it's this little alcove and like, you know, this little street that you've never heard of. And it like only serves two people uh, per hour and makes like, you know, grass fed uh, vegan burgers with, you know, oh God, I, we just lost the vegans. Um, oh no! Oh no! <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. I love you. One of my best friends is vegan, so it's okay. But um, yeah. So, Ghost oh <laughs> World is my number three here, and Brittany, we're going to go to you for your number two. Girl, you know what time it is. It's time for Clerks. Yeah, I I know it's like popping out there real quick, but I think everybody, I I think it's impossible to watch Clark without just absolutely loving it. I wasn't even supposed to be here. Oh, which brings me to okay. So Clark, you got uh, Dante and Randall, and Dante works at a little quick shop or you know a little little store on the corner, and well. He wasn't supposed to be there today. He has a series of unfortunate events through the day where he's forced to, he wasn't supposed to be working. So he ends up having to come to that shift, finds out his boss went, uh, I think on vacation, right? So ends up having to work the entire day at this little store, which I'm like, okay, I've seen your day. I would take that day, even if you have rude customers. It seemed like he had the easiest job in the entire world. Sign me up. But, uh, yeah, and you have Randall, who works at the video shop right next door, and Randall is a hooligan. He uh, He's just a little uh, – he doesn't care. I don't even think he, like, ends up hardly even working there throughout the day. But uh, it's just their series of just – hanging out, getting into trouble, and, uh, you know, Dante has his girlfriend, but he also, uh, I think her name is Veronica, and then there is an ex that he's really wanting to get back with, and I think he ends up trying to get back with her, but she thinks that Dante is going to surprise her with sex in the bathroom, but (laughs) it, yeah, yeah, but uh, as we find out, um, my customer had went to look at porn in the bathroom, had a heart attack, and well, died. 
And but since he died looking at porn, he still remained having uh, an erection. So she goes in there and thinks it's Dante and sleeps with the dead body. So, yeah, that happens. She ends up, like, going comatose over it, over the sheer horror that happened. Uh, Well, Randall ends up telling Veronica, like, hey, this is what happened with... uh, Dante was going to leave you, basically, or tells her what happened. Uh, because I don't, I can't remember. Does he like Veronica? Or did he, he not like, care for her? He likes his current girlfriend. It's just that he obviously, like, his ex- No, but Randall. Oh, I think they're okay with each other. He doesn't like the ex. Okay, that's what it was. That was what it was. Well, ends up Dante and Randall fight because uh, Randall goes, hey, you know, you keep saying, oh, well, he was supposed to be here today. He's like, but you chose to come anyways. You chose to accept the call. You chose to stay here. You could have left at any point. You've kind of done this, you know, and I think it was his way of saying, like, oh, you say all these bad things happened, but you were literally in control of every bad thing that happened to you today. And basically saying, stop being a, a wuss, but with a P. So, um, that whole movie is just great. And you have Jay and Silent Bob, which we know is played uh, Silent Bob by Kevin Smith, who, when he speaks, uh, he always has, like, a little pearl of wisdom that ends up, uh, in, that, in that he's like, oh, you had a great girl and you ruined it, basically. I don't know if you're going to keep, I don't know if you're going to keep going with Clerks because I am ready to go full force and start with Silent Bob, but. Uh, words of wisdom. So yes, do waiting. it, do it, girl, do it. So Silent Bob only has his words of wisdom once in the movie, and the thing is, is that Dante's current girlfriend, who he is taking for granted, you know, because he's so hung up on his ex-girlfriend, who, you know, cheated on him a bunch of times and all that. Um, his current girlfriend, while he was at work, literally brought him a plate of lasagna and. Uh, Silent Bob has this line where he's like, there's a lot of hot chicks out there. He's like, but not every one of them brings you lasagna to work, you know? So it's like you are taking her for granted. And what I love in that movie is, as you said, you know, Dante is so whiny, right? I wasn't even supposed to be here today. And Randall's like, you could have said no. You didn't have to come in. You said that you're not happy in your current relationship. You could have broken up with her. Like, you're, and he literally says, he's like, shit or get off the top. Like, stop complaining because all you do is complain. Um, and yes, Randall hardly works. I mean, there's at some point where he literally, like, waits outside the video store trying to pretend to this one girl that he doesn't work there. And then he goes to the, like, quick stop, comes back, and then opens up the store. And she's just like, you motherfucker. It's just so good. I love. I love this movie so much. Um, It's the first time you see Jay and Silent Bob. Dante and Randall's relationship is absolutely brilliant. Um, There's so many just, like, if you've ever worked in, like, any sort of occupation like that, you know the feeling of, like, I wasn't supposed to be here today. You know the customers who, you know, ask, like, they do – 
R- Randall saying about his job that he gets these people who come in. You know that one movie with that one person and that one girl, you know, or the person's like uh, in the convenience store, like literally taking out the eggs of every single egg carton just to inspect them, you know, and shit like that. Like the weirdest effing shit ever. Oh, but, there's the lady, it's like the ladies that check the milk to fi- try to find the milk with the longest expiration yeah. date from the day. Yeah, exactly. Or like, you know, Randall's just uh, talking about, uh, it's just the whole thing. I, I can't even like convey how amazing this freaking you know, movie is and how well done it was for being a freaking, like, indie film. And James and Bob are just so brilliant with, like, the fact that they just stand outside selling drugs all freaking day. Um, but, of course, one of my favorite parts is Dante and Veronica are sitting there at some point just talking, and they're talking about, like, say, how many people they slept with. And shit, and this one guy comes in and he leaves, and Veronica's like, "Oh, like I blew that guy," and Dante's like, "I thought you said you only slept with three guys," and she's like, "Yeah," he's like, "But you just said that you blew him," and she's like, "Well, yeah, but that doesn't mean I slept with him." And Dante's like, "Wait, what?" And, and she reveals that she's like the whole thing is that he's like, 37 dicks, my girlfriend has 37 dicks. And and she snowballed one guy. Yeah, well, that was the guy. And you see her, like, you know, she's like, I have to go to class. And she, like, walks out, and Dante goes, try not to suck any dick on the way to the bus stop or something like that. And you see this one guy go to follow her, and Dante's like, you get back here. (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, my God. (laughs) This whole movie is just a freaking classic, um, and I love the fact that it was done entirely in black and white. I just love that it is literally just a day in the life of Dante and Randall and how opposite they are. You know, Dante is so like, you know, everything happens to me. I take no responsibility, and Randall is just like, this is your life, fucking do something. Like, stop whining all the freaking time. And I just love that. Shit or get off the pot. They literally get into, like, a fist fight at some point because Dante blames Randall for, like, everything, right? Like, there's at some point where um, Dante or Randall is not paying attention. They accidentally, like, end up selling cigarettes to, like, a kid, you know, and that gets them in trouble. Or freaking um, they end up doing, like, a hockey game on top of the roof or they have to go to, like, someone's funeral and, like, leave the store unattended. And it's just so good. I love Oh, yeah, Dante's past lover. Yeah, I love um, Clerks 1 and 2. They are just perfect. And I believe, so um, Kevin Smith just did a Jay and Silent Bob reboot, like a new Jay and Silent Bob movie, and I believe I heard that he is working on a third Clerks, which... I hope he does, and I hope he is able to get the guy who played Dante and the guy who played Randall. Because um, we definitely about, we riot. Well, you know what's also so interesting about these movies is, like, the actors, right? Like, the reason why he's Silent Bob and he only gives himself one line is because Kevin Smith can't remember lines. So, you know, he... 
he decides to give himself only one line during the movie. Or Randall, if you notice, he's always chewing gum, and that's because the actor says that chewing gum, like, calms his nerves. So it's, like, really, like, interesting, like, their little nuances, pretty much. I also love that in Clerks 2, Silent Bob and when him and Jay are fighting, and Silent Bob is like, it's a lot of pressure always having to, like, say something really thoughtful, you know, every time I speak. Sometimes I just <laughs> want to talk, but, I, you know, it's like all that pressure, and I was like, oh, I feel you, Silent Bob. I feel you. I love that because they're like, well, and Bob's like, I got nothing. And Jay's like, what the fuck are, good are you? And Bob's like, oh, like, you have anything good to say. All it is with you is pussy. <laughs> I love it. I love Clerks. I love that you put this on here. When you said beforehand, you're like, I'm going to put Clerks on the movie. I'm like, oh, on, on the list. I'm like, okay, I won't mention Clerks because you are, but we have to talk about Clerks. Exactly, exactly. I love this freaking movie. Oh, my God, I want to watch Clerks now because it's so fucking good. Um, Yeah, Clerks is like the, you know what? Clerks is like the godfather of indie films. There you go. I put it out there. There you but, go. Um, there you go. As we uh, hit the 15-minute mark, um, I suppose, Brittany, it is time for our number one Um. I'm going to go through the list, and I think that we picked a lot of really awesome indie films, so let's go through it. For number 10, we had Sweet Virginia. For nine, we had Thumper. For eight, we had Juno. For seven, we had Little Accidents. Number six is Napoleon Dynamite. Number five is Frank. Number four is Pulp Fiction. Number three is Ghost World. Number two is Clerks. And number one, I don't think you've ever seen this, but... um. It's a fantastic freaking movie. It is Memento, which is um, Memento is Christopher Nolan's pretty much like breakout film, what really got people to start noticing him. And it stars Guy Pierce in. So the whole thing about Guy Pierce is that his character is that he was severely beaten and his wife was uh, raped and murdered. And because of this extreme beating, he now can only, he can't retain memories. He has all of his past memories, but from day to day, he cannot retain any memories. So as you can imagine, that would be horrific to even deal with. And he pretty much, uh, in order to kind of even function from day to day, he tattoos like, everything on his body, like, any information that he needs, he tattoos on his body. He takes Polaroids of people that he meets and writes little notes on the back so that when he sees them, he can say, like, oh, well, I've met this person before. And you've even, like, had throughout the movie where people will be like, oh, we've met before, look at your Polaroids. And he'll be like, oh, okay. Um, And, but what's even, like, crazier about this film, which really just makes it a true Christopher Nolan, like, mindfuck film, is that the movie works backwards. And this isn't like, oh, you know, it's all flashbacks. No, it literally is reversed. Anything, any sequence of events happen, like, the beginning of the movie is technically the end of the movie, and then it just works backwards. And it's, like, you don't realize that at first. You have to really kind of 
like, pay attention, then you're like, oh, shit, that's what's going on. And what's crazy is, like, someone points out to him at some point that, like, his whole life pretty much now is to get revenge on the people who did this to his wife. And people are like, how do you know that you haven't even, you know, gotten this person yet? The person has such a generic name. I think it's something like Donald G. And they're like, you might have even, you know, gotten this person already. You don't even realize it. And you're like, shit, has he already? Like, you don't even know yeah. he could have just done it and just have, have kept going because he doesn't have memories. And his memory is so bad that there's at some point where he's telling this to a waitress and she literally, like, spits in his beer and, like, walks away or even just turns around and, like, comes back and puts it in front of him and he goes to drink it because, like, he doesn't even remember that that just happened. Um, it, it's just insane. It. It's such a good movie. Guy Pierce is so good in this. And it's just like, I know that with Christopher Nolan, we're used to Inception and the Dark Knight trilogy and everything else that he's come with afterwards. But I still think that hardly anything beats Memento because it's such a well-constructed movie and it doesn't have to kind of live within the confines of now being, say, a huge cinematic movie because it was an independent film. And I just love this movie. It's it's really well done and certainly like the best independent film that I could even come up with with this list. So yeah, my uh, entry for the number one is going to be Christopher Nolan's Memento. Uh, Brittany, what are your thoughts on this? It's funny that you bring that up because I was watching, uh, I think it's by Inked. They, uh, it was... Uh, a bunch of tattoo artists talking about tattoos from movies and uh like uh like the the hangover and one of them was from memento and they were all like how is a guy that has bad memory and has never tattooed in his life doing these <laughs> kind of tattoos on him they're like that is the only unbelievable that is that is the most unbelievable part but they were also like yeah, I like that movie. But then like, <laughs> it's like their guilty pleasure movie because they're not supposed to like it because it's generic for them to be like, oh, yeah, Memento. But I think the concept is really great. And I saw that on a list and I was like, oh, I was like, I haven't seen that yet, but I know Tia loves that movie. So I'm glad it found its way onto this list. Uh, I think that's great. I, But does he end up killing the guy? Does he find him? He, like, finds a guy, but again, like, I just looked at as Johnny G. Like, that's such a generic name. He doesn't even have a last name. So it's like, you don't even really know, like, if he was able to actually accomplish what he wanted to accomplish. And I think that's kind of, like, the beauty of this um, movie is that there really is no, like, tied-up end. It's all loose, but not, not necessarily in a frustrating way. So, I don't know. I just really freaking love this movie, and it's certainly something that I think everyone should go see, especially if they like Christopher Nolan's style of filmmaking. It's just like, like, if I have to think about a movie that's more, say, confusing than this, or even something that's more confusing of this, I can only think of, like, the second season of Westworld. Like, <laughs> besides that, like, this is 
Like, you have to really be on the ball. And that, and, like, that is some confusion. Right, right. Well, I mean, it was created by, co-created by Jonathan Nolan, who's Christopher Nolan's brother. I mean, I just feel like the Nolans are just like, let's confuse everyone. This is amazing. Uh, <laughs> how, can we, how can we get people to leave the theater scratching their heads? Um, no, yeah. I love it. You definitely have to watch it at least once, but again, you have to be like honed in, like 100% paying attention. If you like look away for a second, you're like, wait, I just missed what the fuck happened. Like, what is going on? Um, and again, Guy Pierce, like, he's a fantastic actor. I know he's, he has been in a lot, but I don't think that he's certainly like on anyone's list when you think of, oh, this is a great actor. It's like, no, no, he's really good. He's always played like different people in anything that he's been in. You know this because we've watched Lawless with him in it. We've watched um, freaking The King's Speech. Yeah, like he always played. And there's a movie, which is also another independent film on Netflix that someone suggested recently called Rover, where he's in it. And he looks almost like virtually unrecognizable. I was like, wait, that's Guy Pierce? Holy shit. <laughs> You're like, he's a chameleon. He is. He's it's really good, but um, I hate his uh, hair and lawless. I know that extreme part. It's like okay, there's parts, but you're literally missing a strip of hair in the middle. Like that's insane. You maybe want to comb over a little, you know. Uh, I don't um, know. But uh, yeah, that's my uh number one. Um, really quick, Brittany, because we don't have a whole lot of time left. I'm just going to name off some that I had um, on my list just because, you know, whatever. So some honorable mentions is uh, Shot Caller, Me, Earl, and the Dying Girl. Um, I put Labor Day. I feel like that's an independent film. Uh, yeah, I the like Divi- it. I like it. The Divide, Zenith, Donnie Darko, and Wind River. Those are my uh, honorable Ooh, mentions. Those are good. Right, right. I, I don't think you had any honorable mentions. No, I have nothing left for you, Tia. I, I, you have drained the bucket. Well, I am sorry. I am sorry. But, um, yeah, I think that we did an awesome job kind of breaking down some of these fantastic indie films just because I think that they need to get more recognition. And in a world where now it seems that every director wants to take shots at the MCU. Just remember, your films still get um, nominated for Oscars. Hardly any of these independent films do. So, you know what I'm saying. But um, when I hear, well, I pick it up, what you're putting down. Thank you, thank you. While we still have a little bit of time left, Brittany, I really want to give you a moment to kind of promote your own thing because, uh, well, this is funny. We were talking about this, and I virtually know nothing about Twitch. And Brittany was saying that I'm like a mother who is like, I don't get it, but I support you anyway. So why don't you uh, speak to all the people out there who actually know about this uh, confangled thing and promote yourself? (laughs) I was going to say, yeah, I started streaming on Twitch. I'm loving it slowly but surely uh, catching the hang of it. I have my setup now. You can find me at Itty Bitty Brit. I've been streaming a lot of Evil Within and getting spooked as it goes. So if you want to see me get scared or have a chat, just uh, come along. I, I, 
I went to do it last night, but I was way too tired, and I was like, man, I'm I'm coming to bed. I, I need a bedtime <laughs> now. So uh, I may stream tonight, but I'm definitely going to stream Monday. I normally do it about uh, 6 Central Time, which would be 7 towards Tia's time, I think. But, uh, yeah, catch me for a couple of hours. We have a lot of fun, and you can follow me at Twitter at Brittany underscore Hegel. Absolutely. Um, I know that there's probably plenty of people out there who twitch, your, you twitchers, uh, make sure <laughs> that you... I know you said that. I was like, I think that's the technical the like tweaker. I know, but for anyone who is on Twitch, make sure that you check out Brittany at Itty Bitty Brittany. Um, Itty and Bitty My bad. Itty Bitty See, this is why I swear that she said it, not me. No, no, but... I it, Itty Bitty Brittany, <laughs> but I ended up going with Itty Bitty Brit. Okay, perfect. So make sure you check that out. Um, make sure if you're listening to this in about three hours at three o'clock, I'll actually also be doing uh, the Geek Vibes Live with uh, Juwan and Nick. So make sure you check that out as well. We'll be rounding out all of the current news that's been happening in the Geekdom world. And make sure you check out, uh, you know, geekvibesnation.com for all our awesome articles. We do news, reviews, thoughts, articles, podcasts of the many. Um, and make sure you also check me out on Twitter and Instagram, CFAB. I've got lots of stuff going on, and you can check out these top tens because we really enjoy doing them and um, can't wait to be back pretty much next week. So, Brittany, thank you so much for joining me for the top ten independent films. And, everyone, please like this. Let us know what your favorite indie films are, and make sure, again, to check us out at uh, Geek Vibes Live at, at 3. Thanks, Brittany. Thank you. Y'all have a good day.